0: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim wa sallim taslima kithira wala hawla wala quwata illa billahi l'aniyhi al-azim Allahumma iftah alayna hikmatak wa inshwad Allahumma iftah alayna futuh al-arifin wa fukhna tawfiq al وقرب بي اسم علم اللهم لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا تر حكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا بما علمتنا زدنا علما وصلي اللهم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا i want to uh, before i go back into that i want i want to uh, um Mm. the one of the biggest problems in uh In, in, in modern Islam, is the idea that you can take from the Qur'an and the hadith directly. And so I want to make that, clarify that, because yesterday I was talking about nasqh, uh, and
1: that's a huge subject, and, and a lot of misunderstanding come from it.
0: But what I wanted to clarify was the um, the obligation of going through the, um, the ulama. And, and again, not just the ulama, but really, uh, the great ulama. And, and they have been clearly identified. There are ones that are agreed upon, and then there's ones that, um, are not agreed upon. Um, An agreed-upon scholar would be somebody like Abu Hamad uh, al-Ghazali, Fakhurddin al-Razi. I mean, obviously, the first, the early period, the four imams, um, people like... uh, And then each
1: one, according to uh, Al-Isfarayini, each one has his area of expertise that he's known for. So, for instance, in Usul al-Fiqh, Imam al-Ghazali is probably, if not the greatest, certainly one of the greatest of the usuli scholars in, in the history of Islam. Uh, and then in tafsir, somebody like Imam Tabari or Imam al-Qurtabi or uh, Qadi Abu Bakr Ibn al-Arabi or uh, from the Hanafi school, somebody like um, uh,
0: Imam al-Tahawi uh, in, in, in fiqh. Um, and then... In, in hadith ibn al or uh, Qadayyad or ibn hajr al-asqalani or imam al-aini i mean
1: these are agreed upon imams because their books are used even for instance zamakhshari despite the fact that he is a mu'tazili in his Aqeedah. in other words he was a rationalist in his in his in his tafsir al-kashaf which is largely a rhetorical tafsir is is almost by consensus considered the, the, the finest piece of scholarship in that area. And uh, even in Imam Maqari's book on, on uh, Aqidah, his metan on Aqidah, he, he mentions you know, about the kashaf, um, that use the kashaf, but recognize there's a few deviant positions in it. Like in Surah at where he says the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, al al he says that the Prophet is less than Jibreel because the teacher is Jibreel and the student is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That's a Mu'tazilite position. It's not a Sunni position. But the point is, is that he was recognized as having imama, as having leadership in that area of language. So his, his uh, books in language are... Uh, brilliant. Then you have the, the ulama that, that you'll find differences of opinion about, like Ibn Taymiyyah, uh, Ibn Arabi, the, the famous um, philosophical Sufi, um, who was also a muhaddith and a mufassir, like uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, who was uh, a muhaddith and a mufassir. These were actually encyclopedic uh, giants in terms of the actual amount of information that they, they had amassed in the religion, but you'll find ulama differ about them. So some ulama will say that Ibn Taymiyyah is a kafir, and, and then other ulama will say he's sheikhul Islam. Some ulama will say about Ibn Arabi that he's sheikhul Akbar, and then other ones will say he's a kafir. So you'll find this in the tradition, you'll find these these splits. With those type of imams, generally the, the Ahl-Sunnah, tended to avoid them. You will find areas where they were, they were greatly honored. Um, and, uh, but overall, their books uh, were not read a lot. Now, in, in the case of Ibn Arabi, I think he did have quite a following uh, in, in, uh, in the Ottoman uh, tradition. And certainly in Syria, he had a lot of uh, followers. And in Iran, oddly enough, uh, the Iranians honor him largely through Al-Qashani's work um, because the Irfani tradition that's there um, uses him. So my point being is that you're going to find the Imams that people differ about, um, and then you'll find the ones. Now, Abu Hamid, to be fair, there was some difference early on. There were Ulama that rejected him, um, like Imam al-Maziri and uh, Abu Bakr al-Turtushi, al Harazim. The, the Umma pretty much agreed upon his Imam, they call him hujjat al islam the proof of Islam. Um, and so the idea now, because you have groups that attack him, historically he was not attacked. He he was he was really honored in the community. Some people considered him weak in Hadith, um, and and towards the end of his life, he started reading Hadith quite uh, assiduously. But prior to that, he was uh, he was more known for his Fiqh and for his uh, 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 tasawwuf, so his tazkiyah, which is the ihya. And, and he's considered a Mujaddid by, I mean, the, the ulama, as far as I can tell, they're pretty much agreed upon that, that he was the Mujaddid of that period of time that he lived in, and and his effects still go on. And so, my point being that you will find differences of opinion, and and those that are agreed upon they also are under the microscope, so not all of their opinions are taken. And over time, they'll look back, and they and and, and scholars will say, "Well, he was wrong here, or he was wrong there." So it's not like everybody just because they reach that level that they're not open to criticism. They are, and and they will be criticized. Some of their opinions will be challenged by later scholars. During their lifetime, generally the ulama say. You know, they call them, uh, uh, Imam al qarafi mentioned, I think, that the fuqaha were like, to you, but they're like goats fighting over uh, the garbage heap. You know, they, there's a lot of hasad uh, amongst uh, scholars, which was traditionally wise. T- contemporaneous scholars did not bear witness against other scholars. You have to really kind of wait to see what the ummah says uh, down the road about them because their contemporaries will often be against them simply because uh, there's uh, sickness in the souls and they have hasad and uh, the, the ulama themselves have um, those sicknesses but um, over time those greats become part of the canon and their books enter into the canon, and and this is why you will find certain books are studied over and over and over again throughout history. And those are the most important books to read because uh, they 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 they're given a tawfiq and they're given a uh, they're given an honorific position in the library of the Muslims. Uh, there are many books in Arabic grammar, but for some reason. The foundation is Sibawe's book and from Sibawe comes uh the great abridgments that are studied later, like the Ajurumiyya for basic grammar, uh the uh Mulhatir Arab, uh in Sarf, um and then the uh the of Ibn Malik uh, in, in grammar and Al awamil al Mi'ah uh, in Balaga there are certain books that were read consistently. In, rhetoric, in uh, logic, certain books like the Shamsiya and the Sulam of Ab- Akhbari. For some reason they just spread all over the Ummah. Which was nice because when somebody like uh, Ibn Arabi, to use as an example, somebody like Ibn Arabi, who was trained in Andrusia and most of his shiuch were in Andrusiyah, he comes to Punya and he ends up giving khutbah and, and teaching and marrying in the culture here. Um, his son-in-law, Sadruddin al-Qunawi, was one of the great muhaddithin of that time. Al-Ajluni said that Ibn Arabi was considered a thiqah in hadith during his time. So, uh, his hadith were sound. Um, uh, the point being is that you could have somebody from a completely different culture in Spain, come to Turkey, and they fit right in with the ulama. It's, it's really something stunning about the Islamic civilization. Um, and so, if you go, for instance, you know, I studied largely with Mauritanians, but the books that I studied, when I meet people from uh, the Dioband madrasa, they studied a lot of the same books, because they're in the same tradition. And even if they aren't the same books, the subject matter is so similar, that we know the same technical vocabulary and we can communicate about um, these things cuz usul al-fiqh it differs a little bit in the Hanafi as opposed to the Shafi'i or the Maliki uh, usuli tradition there's some differences in the mustarahat but overall it's very similar and so this what's happened in the modern period and this in in essence is a kind of protestant impulse which is the idea of going back to the original sources, of bypassing tradition, of going back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And this is a a a a kind of chant that modern Muslims have. Now, part of the problem with that is the Qur'an and the Sunnah uh, are in language. And language, by its very nature, has the problem of ambiguity, all language. Um, I can use a term, and you can understand one thing, and I mean something very different from it. And, and so this is a problem. And this is why uh, defining terms was so important in our tradition. There's a whole slew of literature which is called Al-Ta'rifat, Al-Hudud, Al-Ta'rifat, the tradition of definitions and terms. I mean, there's so many books on this subject. One of the most famous is Al-Jurjani or Ibn Fawrak. But these are, these books were foundational books because there are, there are words that are used that you, you have to understand them uh, if you're going to understand the Hadith or the, um, or the Quran and, and, and the books of the scholars. So, learning these things was very important and that's the basis of communication is that we're speaking the same language. If our language differs, then our communication is going to break down. Whether it's two different languages like Turkish and English, there's almost no communication but even within the same language if if we're using terms in a different way it's going to break down which is one of the reasons why one of the in adab al-bahth wa al it's the right of your interlocutor whoever you're engaging with in a discussion it's the right of the interlocutor, uh interlocutor to ask for a definition it's a right so any word you use the, the person that you're speaking with, you can say, عرفه, what, what, how are you defining that term? And the, and the definition of a term is, 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 is done through the five predicables. So that's a whole other uh, subject, because you have to study that to do um, So, in saying that abrogation is a major problem in our community, the real problem is not so much abrogation, <laughs> But it's people that are unqualified that are taking the Qur'an and the sunnah into their own hands and not understanding how subtle these things are. That even naskh in itself, and we, we assert as Ahl sunnah wal-Jama'ah, all of us, we assert naskh. It's part of our tradition to believe in abrogation. It's one of the things uh, that the Jews and the Christians differed about because the the Christian tradition, the New Testament abrogates a lot of the Old Testament. And, and the Jews rejected the idea of abrogation. One of the things about the Quran is it comes as a Muhayman. It's, it's a guardian of the previous dispensations and so it will often clarify debates that they were having amongst themselves. And this is why the, 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 the Quran will take positions. For instance, in The Seven Sleepers, the the Orthodox tradition uh, they put them in their canon of saints, so they're they, they are considered saints in the Orthodox tradition. The Catholic tradition doesn't believe in the seven sleepers. They say that it's it's an apocryphal tradition and it doesn't have validity. The Quran sides with the Orthodox tradition on that issue, and 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 basically argues that the the the, uh, the Catholics made a mistake on that one. They missed them, so. This is, the, the abrogation is asserted in, in the religion, but the meaning of abrogation and the idea somehow that abrogation can completely nullify verses in the Quran, this is where you're going to get the khilafats. Some see the abrogation as a takhsiz, that you khassis, that it's really making specific things that are general, or that the tadarruj of, of a hukum. So, for instance, in wine, in the alcohol, it's not so much naskh as tadarruj, that the Qur'an is, is taking people by degrees, going from a society that imbibes a lot of uh, alcohol to a society that's free of alcohol. And, and instead of doing it all at once, it does it over a period of time. So each of those verses, it relates to a specific time period. So these, these are the, uh, the, the issues. But the point of, you know, Ayatul Saif, which is in Toba and also the verse in Surah Muhammad, that these, the, the, to, to, to argue that these verses have abrogated all of the Meccan verses is completely insane. And this is one of the things that you will see people that really hate Islam, this is one of the key issues that they focus on in their books. What they say is, Muslims will go to interfaith conferences, and they'll say all these wonderful, beautiful ayahs, but what they're not telling you is all those ayahs were abrogated. This is a very common motif in anti-Muslim writing. And, and, and they'll bring our own sources. You see, they'll bring our own sources and they'll say, Here's, here it is, right there, look, Imam Suyuti al-Itqan, and this is considered a valid book in their tradition, in the Al-Itqan, he says, all these uh, verses have been abrogated and the Qur'an itself says that ayatin bi bi minha mitriha. You know, we don't abrogate an ayah or cause it to be forgotten except that we bring uh, better than it or its like. And then Allah is saying this is a demonstration of his qudra. <laughs> right? So... Uh, they'll use these arguments. And, and Muslims, unfortunately, we have to be more aware of our, our own tradition in that way to be able to defend ourselves. Because the uh, the ahkam that, that uh, were revealed in Mecca, these are universal, uh, this is universal <laughs> virtue. And to say that these are abrogated is, is to argue for the abrogation of Makarram al-Akhlaq which many of our scholars have said, including Tabari, including in earliest tafsirs, this is mentioned. Um, but in relation to power, the Prophet is powerless in Mecca, and he has power in Medina. وَلَا حَوْلَ ila قُوَّةَ <بِاللَّه> I mean, These terms are tricky terms, you know, because they're very... People love these... Modern people love these power. This, it's all about power and... Um, and, and and our tradition is a tradition of, of divestment of power. But God gives power um, and enables people to do things. In reality, the power is His alone. But He does enable people to do things. This is the istifa. And so there are people over other people in this world, and they have power over them. They can exploit them. When you're in power, a, a certain set of rules applies to you that, that does not apply when you're not in power. And, and a lot of the, the problems that come with abrogation uh, relate to this fundamental problem that um, for, for an average Muslim uh, all those meccan verses should apply to him but for a government you don't forgive people if they wrong other people but if you're wronged yourself it's a high thing to do to forgive other people and the Prophet always forgave unless it was a of Allah in his personal haq, he always forgave people. He forgave the woman who uh, poisoned him. And that's, that's warada, the sunnah. That he, he forgave her. In his haq. If there is a qisas in that situation, it was because of the sahabi that died from the poison, according to the ulama. But in terms of his haq, he forgave her. And there are many examples of that. And in the end, if you take anything that's harsh in the Quran, you have to relate it to the Prophet Wadawkunta Favvan, Ralida al Qalbi, Fama Fabima Rahmatil Minallahi Lintarahum. It's a mercy from Allah that you were made gentle. His nature was gentle. Right? And, it, and had you been, Lo here is harfu imtina'ni imtina' it's impossible. Wadawkunta Favwan, Rhalida al Qalbi, Len Fabdum and Hawliqa They would have dispersed From your presence, like people that flee. If you see people fleeing from people claiming to follow the Prophet, just know for certain that they're not following the Prophet, because the Prophet's way is a way of attraction. It's not a way of uh, negation. And so that that. And then the other thing in 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 the twenty three years in which the Prophet um, actually fought. Rather the 13 years, because he did, uh, 10 years, because he didn't fight for the first 13 years. There were 29 ghazwa. Out of those 29 ghazwa, fighting only occurred in 11 of them. So two-thirds of his so-called battles had no fighting in them. <laughs> I mean, had he been Hashahu sallallahu alaihi wa uh, this bloodthirsty character that they describe in the West, um, then we would have had battles in uh, fighting in all his battles and we would have had all this bloodshed. Less than than if you look at the total number of people that were killed, and the the the, the uh there are certain battles that um the Prophet I said, the the biggest battle in terms of numbers, six people died. Right? In the khandak. I mean, they had, you know, all these thousands of tribes came from around Arabia to annihilate the Prophet صلى and six people died. And Allah says that He kafa aydihum ankum, that He's the one that prevented them. <laughs> that they tried to start the fires, the flames of war, and Allah put those flames out, right? Okay? So the Prophet actually, in in most situations, he did not um, have uh, these huge uh, battles. It was quite the opposite. Even at Badr, you know, uh, the loss of seventy people was considered a major loss in the Arabian Peninsula. If you look at all of these battles, you will find that less than uh, 400 sahaba died in in the 23 years that happens in one day today and and the bani quraida the 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 so-called massacre of um of uh, the jews um, you know, the, I think that that all needs to be restudied. The, one of the major sources for that was uh, Rifā' al-Qurādi, somebody from Beni Qurayda. Imam Malik didn't accept um, a lot of the opinions about that. He didn't. He didn't accept Ibn Isḥāq's narrations. Um, Ali Barākāt wrote a book, um, of very solid history, arguing that the, the grossly exaggerated. If you read the the descriptions of It's anywhere from 400 to, uh, you know, 1,000 Jews being killed. And Ali's doing the whole thing. It's just a lot of it just does not ring uh, true. And this is uh, part of the problem with those early sources is that... um, And this is Ibn Khaldun's principle, that you have to look intelligently at history, even Sira and the Hadith literature about some of these narrations. And that's not in any way fa'an fi fi tarathina, because I have great respect for the rigor of our muhadithun, and I do accept the whole classical Sunni uh, preservation of a hadith. I am in no way a revisionist in that way. But I'm also aware of a lot of narrations got into our tradition to make certain people look bad, like Imam Ali. And, uh, and also, uh, we had Jewish converts to Islam, that would bring in their own narratives also. People tend to exaggerate massacres. Um, this has happened many times in history. The Turks have been still dealing with the Hamadian, uh, so-called Hamadian massacres of the Armenians and, and, uh, and then the, uh, the Armenian massacres, uh, of, of World War, uh, one. Um, th- those are all very, uh, problematic areas. And that's just a hundred years ago so what about uh 1400 years ago you know if if in the light in the full light of history there's all these debates about these armenian massacres then how how are we going to look at things that occurred and 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 the the hadith uh the athar about um uh the uh the um you know Three thousand Muslims going up against thirty thousand, um, uh, Romans. I mean, if you, if you again read those, there's a lot of problems in those narrations. Um, and that, that, uh, anyway. So, my point of all that is that we, you know, we have to assert, um, you know, our Prophet ﷺ, that the 13 years in Mecca are not nullified. They're not null and void. Because if that was true, they have no meaning. You know, the Prophet's behavior has no meaning. If, if Allah just abrogates it and says it has no meaning, it has to have meaning and it has to be meaningful to us. And the, what's interesting to me about the Qur'an is it really gives two possibilities. It because it's a bridge between the, the Mosaic tradition and the, and the and the and the and the Jesuit tradition, it's it's got these these interesting of uh, forgiving and 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 redressing through justice. It gives both options to people. The Quran says you can have your justice if you want, but no the standard that you judge in this world, you're going to be judged in the next world. It's better to forgive. The Qur'an will always say that. It's better to forgive. It's better to overlook. You know, min Don't get caught up in, don't feel constricted about this. This is good for you. There's a reason why this is happening to you. You know, be patient. This is what the Qur'an is saying. But then it says, if you want your justice, you can have it. If you read Surah Al-Shura, the, 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 it's almost like a debate between the self about um, forgiveness and redressing wrongs and forgiveness and redressing wrongs. It's it's like an internal conflict between people. And so, it's very important for Muslims to... Uh, this idea that people can read the Quran and take directly from the Quran is one of the most dangerous ideas in our community because it will lead to a complete fragmentation of our... Uh, religious tradition, which is already happening, but it will happen even more. If you go to uh, America, there are so many different denominations. Every, Every street corner in some places in America has a different church, and people go to different houses of worship. Why? Because they all interpret the Bible differently. So the Baptists interpret differently from the Methodists and the Methodists from the Episcopalians and the Episcopalians from the Anabaptists and the, and the Anabaptists from the Pentecostals and the Pentecostals from the Holy Rollers and on and on and on. And, there's some, and then you have the little funny ones where there's a preacher and his family because he's the only one on the planet that really understands the Bible. I mean, you really literally have churches like that. And, and this is what happens when, when you allow uh, a complete lack of regulation of sacred scripture. And so, what this tradition is really about is maintaining a type of regulatory mechanism um, on sacred scripture so that not everybody can say what they think it means. You have to be qualified to do that, and that qualification takes many years of rigorous training that also has to be accentuated by a brilliance. So it's one thing to to have the training. I mean, I've been undergoing this thing for a long time. I don't I don't have the qualifications necessary uh, to be one of those imams, and I'm very aware of that. I know my limitations, I'm not stupid or deluded about that. I mean, there are people that think they can do that, but it's not like that, and if you spend any time with somebody like Sheikh Abdullah bin Beya, um you will know how far you are from just what the necessary prerequisites are. And academic, uh, scholarship is very different from classical Islamic scholarship. I mean, the idea of a Western academic having knowledge of the, of the, you no. Know, I mean, just knowing the, the, the ten qira'at was a sine qua non. Right? To know the, the, the ten variants of the Quran. And they're different, they're tathabatu, uh, in in surah al hujarat there's a variant tathabatu and tabayyanu it's written exactly the same way without the dots but there are two قراءات one is tathabatu and one is tabayyanu and they mean different things and there's a reason why they mean something different and so the person has to understand what the difference is between tathabbut and tabayyun in a khabar in ja'akum fasiqun bi khabarin fatathabatu
0: you
1: know, and and you have to do both and that's why they're both there. So, uh I just want to go uh, through uh to drive this home. I know I'm belaboring it now, but um uh even Ibn Jose who was uh a little earlier than um uh our but not much. Um, he was he was a, a a generation and a half earlier than Sidi al-Mawak, and Sidi al-Mawak would have studied him and certainly been a master of the issues. But one of the things he says um, is that you know, the uloom of Qur'an that that are contained in the Qur'an, and also that need to be known for the Qur'an, he says um, that you can look at this from a summary and you can look at it from a detailed description. The summary of it, he says, أما على الجملة فاعلم أن المقصود بالقرآن دعوة الخلق إلى عبادة الله وإلى الدخول في دين الله ثم إن هذا المقصد يقتضي أمرين لابد منهما وإليهما ترجع معاني القرآن كله أو معاني القرآن كله احدهما بيان العباده التي دعيا الخلق اليها والاخر ذكر بواعث تبعثهم على الدخول فيها وتقودهم اليها فاما العباده فتنقسم الى نوعين وهما اصول العقائد واحكام الاعمال واما البواعث عليها فامران وهما الترغيب والترهيب so this is the jumla of the Quran he says know that the whole purpose of this Quran is to is an invitation of creation to worship their creator and to enter into a covenant with him, a deen with him, a transaction. So that that's the maqsood of the Qur'an. That's the intention of the Qur'an. He just summarized for you the whole purpose of the Qur'an. It is an invitation to the creation uh, from the creator to enter in, to worship him and to enter into his deen. And then he said, this maqsa, this, this purpose necessitates two things. La bhuddha they're inescapable. And wa ilayhi ma tarji'u ma'ani al-Qur'ani kul, uh, al-Qur'ani uh, kullihi. Yeah, because the bamir goes back to the Qur'an. Ma'ani al-Qur'an. It go, all of the Qur'an, the meanings of the Qur'an. Uh, So, uh, the entire Qur'an, it goes back to the Ma'ani, to these two things. One of them is to clarify what that ibadah is, that creation is being called to. What is the ibadah? And the second is what are the incentives that would incentivize somebody to go into that relationship and to drive them to it? As for ibadah, this devotion, it uh, is of two divisions, two types. usul al-aqaid wa ahkam al amal. It's foundational beliefs and categories of action or behavior. So, rulings about how to act and principles of what to believe. This is all of the Qur'an. And then he says, as for the incentives, they go back to two things. Targheeb and Tarheeb. Things that are desirable and things that are fearful. So, this is the stick and the carrot. There there are things that will encourage you to, to act, and there are things that will deter you from acting. Fear and hope. Those are the two incentives in the Quran. The the, uh, the 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 meanings of Quran are seven. So every verse in the Quran can can be taken back to seven basic meanings. Every verse in the Quran. Some of some of the verses will have more than one. But the, everything in the Quran will go back to seven basic meanings. rububiyyah knowledge about the Lord, knowledge of lordship. Ilm al knowledge of prophecy. Ilm al Ma'ad, knowledge of eschatology, what happens after death. Knowledge of ahkam, rules. And then wa'ads, a promise. Wa'id, a threat, because the Arabs they say awada, right? And, and, waada to make a promise and to make a threat. They use the same word. So the wa'id is, uh, is the threat. So a promise and a threat, and then qasas, stories. Those are all, that's the Quran. Those seven meanings. Rububiya, Nabuwa, Ma'ad, Ahkam, wa'ad, wa'id, and qasas. So, basically divinities, prophecies, eschatologies, uh, legal categories, uh, promises, uh, threats, and stories, history, and then he goes. <الْرُّبُّيَّة> As for Rububiyya, <الْرُّبُّيَّة> you have Ithbat Wujud al-Bari Jalla Jalalu, what is بِمَخْلُوقَاتِهِ Alayhi So you have that Allah is showing that He exists. And he shows that he exists through his creation. The word in Arabic for the world is called alam. Alam in Arabic is, is a, it's, it's, ismul ala. It's called ismul ala. Fa'al. Fa'alun is ismul ala. Like, Miftah is ismul ala. It's, it's, it's the noun of instrumentation. It's the noun that enables you to do something with it. Alam is the instrument of knowledge. All of knowledge comes through the senses. We have a priori knowledge, but even that a priori knowledge is discovered through the senses. And so when people say to you that all you can know is what, is what's in the world, that's not true. There are, there's a priori knowledge that you have, intuitive knowledge that you have about the world that the world does not indicate to you. Uh, abstractions are one of them the fact that you can essentialize there's nothing in the world that indicates that that's something that the mind is gifted with Um, so Allah uses the world to show that the alam and he's Rabbul alameen the the alam this instrument of knowledge is to help you know your Lord that's the purpose of the world because he lies behind veils. I'm stuff of I don't even want to use that word lies. Uh, God is hidden behind veils. He has veiled himself because his light is blinding. We can't know him directly. We can't know his essence. But we can know his attributes. And therefore, he reveals his attributes through the world. This is how he comes uh, to, to, to be known. And so wa kullu القرآن من fi على quran min في خرق الأرض al-makhlouqat والحيوان والنبات والرياح والأمطار والشمس والقمر ard wa al-samawat wa al-hayawan wa al All those things in the Quran that are talking about uh, thinking about creation considering the creation of the earth the heavens animals foliage Winds, rain, the sun, the moon, wa lady, right, wa shamsi, wa duha, all all these verses are to make you think about this vast creation that he has made, and all those other things that are mentioned. These are all proofs of the Creator. And this is the way he asserts his wahdaniyah because his oneness will be understood through this if you contemplate it deeply enough. You will you will arrive at oneness because there are proofs against the multiplicity of sources behind this. This is the argument from what's called the first cause which is a very sophisticated and difficult argument that people don't fully grasp because they haven't taken the time to study it. Um, it actually traditionally, in the Christian tradition, they spent 15 years studying these issues. 15 years in seminary. People people now, they read uh, St. Thomas's gross abridgments of, of these arguments and they think, oh, there's nothing here for me. I don't believe in this. But if, if you reflect deeply about where this came from, you fall into two major problems. دور uh, and And so all of these things are to take people out into an understanding of God's unity. So these are proofs of the Creator. His oneness, their refutations of people that associate with God. They're also ways of coming to know the attributes of God, of such as life, knowledge, power, hearing, sight, and all these other things from his names and his attributes, and uh, removing any association with him uh, that would be inappropriate to associate with him. That's Ruhubiya in the Quran it is to establish or assert the reality of prophecy of the prophets may peace and blessings be upon all of them in general when Muhammad muhammadan sallallahu alaihi wasallam al khusus and specifically the prophet muhammad's prophecy and this is why the great muslim obsession was not with proving the existence of god it was actually proving the existence of prophets especially our prophet muhammad because if you can prove the prophet then it follows, if the prophet's telling you there's a God, it's obvious. So they really wrote many books of Dirail and Nabuwa proving the Prophet, the fact that he was predicted by so many previous dispensations, the fact that he had factual miracles. There are miracles that could not be a lie because the Qur'an actually mentions them and the Quraysh were there and the Qur'an doesn't say anything about the Quraysh denying it. Because they saw these things with their own eyes. Because there are things in the Qur'an where the Quraysh will actually say that's not true. They'll refute things. But certain things they they didn't. And so, and this is one of the interesting things about Orientalists. If anything in our tradition puts the Muslims or the Prophet in a bad light, it's treated as history. They always just treat it as history. But anything that... Uh, has any miraculous element it's clearly fabricated so Aisha's age is history but the palm tree that moaned in the masjid clearly fabricated right even though there's debate about Aisha's age and at bukhari i mean you could easily have dropped uh the the uh just the 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 10 uh, marker there are ulama that say she was 16 not 6. So there you know and many examples like that. And then part of that is is that al-kutub al-lati anzaraha Allah alayhim wa wujood al-mala'ikati alladhina <speaking> kana minhum <Hebrew> musa'id and so, also the fact that they are a means between God and between uh, His creation, and th- and there's refutations against those who disbelieve, and and uh, also uh, there are things in the Quran in order to uh, to mollify or, or mitigate the sorrows of the Prophet um, and uh, telling him about the previous prophets and what they went through, so that this uh, gives a type of solace for the Prophet. So the Qur'an is very solicitous for the Prophet's spiritual well-being by reminding him that you're in a long chain of people that have been wronged, and this is the sunnah of God because he's elevating you with these tribulations. And also um, the ma'ad which is eschatology uh, proving the existence of the Hashar, uh, that we, we will all be brought together and and uh after after we die and establishing proofs against those who differ from that uh, about the afterlife and about Jannah and nar about paradise and hell and about the reckoning and about the mizan uh the actual scales in which actions are wa- are weighted about the the uh the deeds the book of deeds that you have um and also all of the ter- terrifying aspects of that day all of that is in the Ma'ad, in the Quran, Amr As for the rules, والنواهي وتنقسم So there's five categories: We've already gone through that. And then there's things that relate to the bodies. So you have uh, uh, the prayer and fasting, and then what relates to wealth, like zakat, and then what relates to the hearts, ahkam <laughs> al-quloob, is in the Quran, الَّذِينَ fi saratum khashi'un, those who are in their prayer, they're khashi'un, they have khushu'ah, مَحَلَ al الْقَلْبِ Uh, so, uh, ikhlas, sincerity, they were only commanded to worship Allah with ikhlas. As for the wa'ad, so the promise that they'll have good in this world, if they follow Allah, they'll be given victory. This is one of the crises of modern Muslims, is that they, there's all these verses of victory. Muslims were given victory always in their, in their history. And then what happened? Well, if you don't fulfill the covenant, Then, it doesn't work. And this, this one of the interesting things about Islam, there, there's something on, 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 uh, that, that I can't, I don't know, remember who did it. But they did a timeline of the historical spread of religions. How, How many people saw that? Yeah, a lot of people. So, one of the interesting things about that is how slow these other religions started. When it gets to Islam, it just turns green everywhere. It spread so rapidly. What was that? Why did Islam spread so much more rapidly than these other religions? It can't be argued that it was just military uh conquest. I mean, that, that's just... Because the Mongols had a vast spread, and then they're gone. They disappeared. But this religion stayed. Why is that? Why is it that 96... There's two opinions. 96 or 98% of Turks are, are Muslim. Why is that? And why is it that the Persians became, the Persians, very proud, great civilization. They became Muslim. And they left their, their, their own prophet, Zardusht. He was a Persian. Right? Zardusht, they had a Persian religion. They left their own Persian prophet for an Arab prophet. They looked down on the Arabs. The Arabs to were bab, they were the lizard-eaters. That's what they called them. They looked down on them, they were their mawali, they were, they, the, the Persians controlled the Arab. How is it that the Persians, with all their pomp and circumstance, within such a short time, embraced the religion of Islam, and then became the greatest Muslims? Look at the history, salmanu minna al albayt. The Prophet ﷺ said, uh, about the, the verse in the Quran minhum there there are those coming later that haven't achieved yet he said he pointed to Salman and he said they're from this man's people ilmu min al if knowledge was on Pleiades it would be Persians that got there. The Persians gave us uh, the the higher mathematics. Look at these great Persian mathematicians. The Persians gave us uh, Mawlana Rumi. I mean, why is everywhere all over the world people are uh, just so in love with his words? Why does he speak universally? Uh, all of our great Imams of Hadith, Imam al-Bukhari. Uh, Imam Muslim was of Arab uh uh, background, but he was raised in Persian tradition. He's a Nesapuri. He was from Nishapur, but he's originally from uh, the Arab. But Kirmidi was a Persian. An Nasai was a Persian. Ibn Majah, Persian. The great Arab scholars of Islam, Persians. All of them. Really. It was the later ones that, that, that came, uh, that condensed what the Persians had, uh, had uh, codified. Abu Hamad al-Ghazali, the great Osudi scholars, Imam al-Juwaini al-Ghazali, these are Persians. It's amazing what Persia gave to Islam. And and they were Sunnis. The Seljuq who came here came from the Persian, uh, from Central Asia, the great Turkish peoples. They came here, established uh, this incredible civilization here in Turkey. Uh, the Ottomans, the, the, the educated Ottomans were fluent in Turkish, Persian and Arabic. The Yanisheri had to learn Persian. That was part of their training. It's, It's amazing what they did. So the Prophet promised, he was given promise of this victory. It happened so swiftly, it was amazing how swift it happened. When the Ottomans took the mantle, when the Seljuk collapsed and the Ottomans took the mantle, nobody in the history, you look at, this is the longest ruling family in human history that we know of. No other family ruled longer than them. How did they break all those historical uh, uh, sunnah? How did they do it for so long? In the 16th century, they were already talking about Ottomans would be over soon in Europe. Can't last much longer, just 400 years, right? Seriously. My mother was born and there was a Sultan, uh, there was a Khalifa, my mother. 95 this year, when she was born there was still a khilafa. Khilafa was officially uh, November 1st 1922 and Then 24 it's ended completely with the establishment of the Republic But my mother was alive and there was a Sultan, a Khalifa of the Muslims. It wasn't that long ago So you know the Nasr in TanSurullah, yansurkum if you give victory to God, God will give victory to you. We have all these Muslims. I mean, if you look at what happened in, in the Ottoman lands that were defended, uh, Mustafa Sabri says two-thirds of Ottoman history was defending other Muslims. Two-thirds of their history. And then when the breakdown happens, they're betrayed by all these people. And now the Muslims are suffering from the effects of those betrayals. Nobody wants to deal with this fact. It's painful. You allied yourselves with the British and look what you got. Sultan Abdul Hamid wouldn't give up Palestine. He was offered all the Ottoman debts would have been forgiven. And he. the famous letter, everybody knows about this stuff. He said, I, I can't give up. It's not mine to give. You can't sell something. It's a sacred trust. But people there were promised, oh, we'll give you... Uh, your own country, get rid of these horrible Turks, right? Beware of white men speaks with forked tongue, right? That's what the Native Americans, you want to talk about promises from, from white people, talk, talk to the Native Americans, right? Seriously, white men speaks with forked tongue. They're all snakes, sister. Yeah, you got poisonous ones, you got non-poisonous ones, so watch out. no that's (laughs) she's like shaking her head did I just hear that right (laughs) yeah No. there's good white people and bad white people there's good black people and bad black people there's good and bad and then there's mixed inside the same person like most of us but don't listen to your enemies (laughs) beware of Greeks bearing gifts Right? You know, that's, that's a, that's a Turkish saying. That must be. Because they brought that big Trojan horse, right? That was in, in, Turkey. They put it outside as a gift, you know, and, and poor, um, Cassandra, given the gift of prophecy, said, don't bring the horse in. But part of the gift was the curse that nobody would listen to her. So he said, don't bring the horse in. It's a mistake. No, this is a gift. Look, they're, they're finished. Ten years, we beat them. They brought it in. That's what has happened to the Muslim world. We brought in this Trojan horse, right? And, and what happens in the Trojan horse is that at night they, they get all drunk. They're celebrating their victory. And then the Greeks come out of the horse and then open the gates. And the Greeks come back and they wipe out Troy, right? kill all the men and take all the women and children as slaves. So, you know, now it's the television. If you want a Trojan horse in the house, I mean, that's, it's the television. Let me entertain you. I mean, you tell me one human being that if some creepy-looking stranger knocked on the door and said, you know, can I sit with your kids for a couple of hours? I'd like to entertain them. You, what would that person in that house do? Seriously, what would they, they would slam the door, call the police or something. You know, there's some pedophile outside my house, wants to sit with my children. But people plop their children in front of televisions with perfect strangers. You know, I looked up a a Facebook of a Disney cartoonist, like when I was doing my research on Disney. I literally decided, hey, they probably have Facebook. I went to one of these guys' Facebook, and I swear to God, in, in his little, like, what do you do for work or whatever, he said, defiler of children. That's what that's what he put as his occupation. <laughs> defiler of children. At least he was honest. <laughs> you know. So the wad is something, you know, but most of the waad is is about um, is about akhirah. So dunya, don't think it's all dunya. It's it's really akthar al wa like the descriptions of paradise. وتأمل القرآن تجد الوعد مقرونا بالوعيد وقد ذكر أحدهما على إثري أو إثري ذكر الآخر ليجمع بين الترغيب والترهيب وليتبين أحدهما بالآخر كما قيل بضديها تتبين الأشياء. So he says, as for the threat, it is it is to frighten people about punishment in this world if you do bad things like لا تقربوا زنا. Don't go near fornication. It's a bad thing. It leads to AIDS and syphilis and gonorrhea and all these horrible things. In dunya, there's a iqab in dunya. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَا ذهَرَتْ fi illa usibat bi lam takun fi aslafihim." No sexual deviancy, deviancy will manifest in a people except they will be afflicted by diseases that their ancestors didn't know about. So, that's one of the punishments of zina. You're warned. And if you don't follow that wa'id, then accept the consequences in dunya before akhirah. This is why Imam al-Kandahari said that the sharia is hujjatullah al-baligha. It's, it's the, it's the clear proof of Allah. It's His hujjah. Because if you go against the, 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 prohibitions in the Quran, you will have horrible things happen to you. The Prophet said, don't go against your rulers. The Quran says, beware of disobeying the Prophet. You will be afflicted by civil strife and great pain, painful chastisement. So if you go against your ruler, and then all this horrible stuff happens, and you, why is this happening? Say it's from your own souls. You were told not to do something. And then the Quran says, beware of fitness. Beware of fitna, of, of, of tribulations, calamities, civil strife, civil war. It it has a lot of meaning. Beware of fitna that doesn't just afflict the innocent among you uh, the guilty among you. In other words, ta'um al the the the, the 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 fitna afflicts everybody and and the mufassirun say if fitna only afflicted the 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 un, the unjust amongst people there would be no reason to do amr bin ma'ruf and nahy there's no reason to enjoin right or forbid evil because he's going to get his just wait but when you see people doing openly sinful things oppression uh, and and all these things outwardly or sexual profligacy and these things then you start thinking if I don't condemn this, it's it, this is going to afflict me. So you're actually protecting yourself. Self-preservation is the first instinct. You're protecting yourself. And this is why the harm principle, uh, John Stuart Mill's harm principle doesn't work for Muslims. Because he has, a, he has no metaphysical concept of harm. We have a metaphysical concept of harm. That if we allow these types of, of deviancies to manifest in a civilization or a culture and we don't condemn it, then it's going to afflict all of us. We'll get the diseases that, that their sinfulness is accruing. They'll start afflicting our innocent people through blood transfusion or through other means. This is a reality. And it's not, it's not, Hatred towards those things, it's recognition of what these things mean to to uh, to a culture and a civilization. They're dangerous things. And history shows that this is true, that's why the Qur'an is one third sacred history. Look at the rise of people and look at their fall. They rise when they obey and stay within these limits and they fall when they disobey and begin to transgress these uh, boundaries that have been set for them for their own preservation. These are for their own good. qasas <الْقصص> As for the... And then he says, you will always find... تأمل الْقُرْآنِ Reflect on the Qur'an تَجِد الْوَعَدِ You will always see in the Qur'an, if there's a promise, a threat follows. If there's a threat, a promise follows. That Allah's... It's fear and hope. You know, I was... I, I, I've told this story before, but I was I was literally... I wasn't in the bar, but I was in a hotel that had a, one of those open uh, sitting areas and you could buy drinks or coffee. And this guy was drinking a Heineken uh, beer and reading a translation of the Quran, <laughs> which struck me as so odd. And, and I just said to him, he was sitting across from me, I said, um, how are you finding... I was in a suit, and you know, no indication outwardly that I was Muslim. I said... Um, how are you finding that book and he just he looked at me he said this is a very interesting book (laughs) i said really he said yeah i I said uh how'd you come about reading it?" he said well i'm doing business in the gulf and i thought you know i should know something about their beliefs and so i wanted to read and i've been reading it and he said it's this book makes a lot of sense and and then he said it's very interesting because uh you know, it's, it's always like it scares me, but then it kind of relieves my fears. It's got this, it creates this tension. And I said, wow, you got that on the first reading. You know, like that's pretty impressive. So, uh, And then he says, uh, in order to join Tarheeb and Tarheeb together, the both, fear and hope, so you can understand one in light of the other. As it's said by the Arabs, بي, al asha or, or al asha." By opposites things are known. You know the night because of day. If it was always night, we wouldn't really have a word for that. It would just be, you know, reality. You wouldn't say, oh, it's night time. You just say... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>. As for the qasas... This is making mention of the prophets and the ancients. كقصتي أصحاب الكه like the people of the calf, وذل وذل قرنين and the the two horned one. فان قيدا مال حكمة في في تكراري قصص الأنبياء في القرآن. What's the wisdom in repeating these stories? فالجواب من ثلاثة أوجه. It has three aspects. This hikma. The first, the الأول anhu ربما لم, uh, so, he might mention something in one surah about the Anbiya that he doesn't mention in another surah. منه so there's always a benefit in that. Like for instance, in one verse about Musa when he throws his staff down, it's a Hayat, Hayatun Tasa it's it's a it's a haya in another one it's a thuban now a haya is is a small snake a thuban is a large snake so why why what is it a thuban or a haya the mufassirun said it was it was very large in its size but very fast cuz large snakes are very slow like a python is incredibly slow if you watch it but 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 it was large but fast so it had the, the physical size of a tha'ban but it had the speed of a snake and so Allah used both words in one and the other uh, because the, the Arabs don't have a word for a large fast snake so that's an example of of, of where you'd have a nuance of, of meaning in that so that's the first reason a thani ذكرت أخبار الأنبياء في مواد على طريقة الإطناب وفي مواد على طريقة الإيجاز لتظهر فصاحة القرآن أو لتظهر فصاحة القرآن في الطريقتين. So sometimes the uh, the the الأخبار of the the prophets the, the stories of the prophets are mentioned in إطناب is a rhetorical term which means that it's uh, it's it, it's it's extensive. So there's there's uh, there's detail, so uh is, is a device in rhetoric where you'll use more than you actually need to convey the meaning, but there's benefit in it. Um, so, for instance, when, when Musa is asked what's in his hand, what, what's in your right hand, Musa gives a litany of things. He could have just said, this is my stick. But he said, you know, I, I use, I, I rely on it, I, I use it, uh, to, to gather my, uh, goats, and I have other, uh, I have other benefits in it. He could have just said it, it's asaya, but he didn't. That's called imbisat in reddit. So that's a type of ilpanab where you want to extend the conversation. Yeah. Because <laughs> you you're so happy to be speaking, <laughs> so you, just want to add more just to keep the conversation going. <laughs> because it might end. <laughs> and then the other one is called Ijaz. Which is, Ijaz is brevity. It's, it's very precise language. In order to manifest the fasaha of the Quran in both ways. That the Quran has brevity, but it also uh, has uh, the eloquence of ilpanab, Which is... Um, uh, more extensive. Uh, the third reason, a third, an akhbar al anbiya, uh, pusida bidikriha maqa'atid. Fayatadadu dhikruha So the, uh, the, the akbar of the, uh, of the anbiya, um, that That what's intended by them are are different aims. So, יתאדו דיקרוhabi תאדו דיתיבת המקاصד. So the the mentioning of them multiplies with the multiple intents and and purposes of the of the of the stories. From the aims al them, among those aims is to establish the prophecy of the prophets. المتقدمين بذكر ما جرى على أيديهم من المعجزات. So, for instance, the ancients, by mentioning the miracles that happened at their hands. And also mentioning how uh, those who denied their truth were perished in different types of destruction, like floods and winds and other things. uh, من غير تعلم من أحدا وإلى ذلك الإشارة بقوله تعالى ما كنت تعلمها أنت ولا قومك من قبل من قبر هذا so in, in surah hud allah says you didn't know this or your people before this like so where did you get this information because because you didn't know it ومنها إثبات الوحدانية ألا ترى أنه لما ذكر إهلاك الأمم المركّافرة قال فما أغنت عنهم آريتهم right so their 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 gods didn't help them right و منها الإعتبار في قدرة لا وشدة عقابه لمن كفر and also you know just reflecting on the divine power of God and the the fierceness of His punishment and so, uh, بَرَقَدْ مِنْ قبرك. You know, prophets were denied before you. You're you're in that line. So expect to be uh, denied in Surah Al-An'am. So just giving the prophet solace and letting him know. وَمِنْهَا تَخْوِيفِ الْكُفَّارِ بِأَنْ annual كَمَا Kama الْكُفَارُ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْرِهِمْ إلى غَيْرِ ذلك مِمَّا احتوَتْ عَلَيْهِ أَخْبَارُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ al الْعَجَائِبِ Wal Mawaidi وَرَدِّهِمْ عَلَى الْكُفَارِ وَغَيْرِ Waradihim Ad Kofari Waili Lam and also because uh, it's to create fear in those who disbelieve that this is what happened to previous people, so don't you should be forewarned and uh, showing them these things. And so there are great benefits in mentioning all these things. And then he says, And then every situation has its appropriate uh, words. And so, uh, So in conclusion, um, So Yeah, so before you can speak about the Quran, you have to know twelve knowledges. And and this is really the, the whole point of this. To speak about the Quran, you need to have mastered 12 sciences. A tafsir. Tafsir is knowing uh, what's been said about the Quran before. Because you have to know. If the Prophet said something, it's definitive. The Prophet rarely gives tafsir of Quran. Because had he said what it meant, it wouldn't leave us any room for interpretation. So he left it open to his ummah. His life is a tafsir of the Quran. But he didn't actually say what things meant in the Quran. And the Sahaba rarely asked him because... One, it was revealed in their tongue, and they tended to understand it. Two, they understood that Allah did not like a lot of questions um, because it would open the door to uh, a lot of problems. Um, so, al-qira'at. Uh, so, you have to know the qira'at because there are different qira'at. There are seven uh, of the, you know, the dominant qira'ats like Nafi' which was Malik's qira'ah, um, uh, Asim which was the qira'ah of Abi Hanifa, um, Qasai, Hamza, uh, Abu Amr. Th- these are the, 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 the muqri'oon. And then you have the three that are considered by the vast majority, they call al rajih, that they're Mutawatir also, um, that come after them. So, knowing the qiraat And then the Ahkam, you have to know uh, Fiqh. So, so if somebody says, um, you know, they're a Mufassir, but they're not a faqih, then you're in big trouble. Like somebody says, don't ask me about Fiqh, but ask me about the Quran. It's a problem. Because you have to be a faqih to speak about the Quran. And then uh, the Ahkam, so the Ahkam the Niskh, you have to know abrogating verses and you have to know the debates about that S- some of them say uh, that there are like uh, a COP mentions 20 that are agreed upon uh, um the uh, imam uh, Kandahlawi in fawz al mentions 5 of those and then he gives tawil of the other ones and that's not including cuz they they recognize ayat safe those are verses other than ayat safe like in Muzammil Allah says qum al-layla illa qaleela. and then later on in the same verse same surah Allah says faqra' ma tatiyassara al-quran he 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 gives him. tahajjud was wajib for the prophet but not he didn't have to do it almost the whole night that was takhfif uh, removed from him and there are other examples like the uh you know if if you're going to speak to the prophet in najwa قَدِمُوا So, give sadaqah before you speak to the Prophet. That was an Amr, and they had to do that. Then, ashfaqtum Right? It's too hard for you to do that. So that got removed. That's نسخ in the same. Many of the نسخ, you'll see it immediately after in the Quran. So, though you have to know what's abrogated, what's not, what's مُخْتَرَفْ Right? Uh, that's very important uh, in the Qur'an. And then you have to know hadith. So, uh, because the Qur'an, the majority of scholars say that the Qur'an, uh, the hadith, uh, uh, right, changes rulings in the Qur'an. Yuqayyid or يُخَصِّص. So, they're, they're in usul al-fiqh, you have to know what, what the hadith says uh, about that. And then the mutawatir, according to the majority, can actually abrogate a verse of the Qur'an. Um, and then you have the... Uh, so hadith is very important. Then you have to learn hadith. The mustarahat is one thing. You also... ilm rijal is another thing. And then, sharh uh, al-matan. So, ilm hadith takes years to master on its own. And then you have to know the qasas. Qasas al anbiya This is a whole genre of Islamic tradition. Like Ibn Kathir's great work uh, on that, Qasas al-Anbiya. Um, in that chapter, their Daniel is in Qasas al-Anbiya. Um, the Samuel, right, they call Samuel, is in there because Samuel's mentioned in the Quran, not by name, but he's actually mentioned in the Quran because he's the Nabi from Bani Israel that's not mentioned. Uh, when, when he appoints the king for Bani Israel. So you have to know the, the qasas al because that relates to the Quran. And then tasawwuf. He puts that as one of the sciences that you should know before, because the Quran is for tazkiyah. man Right? Why did, why did Allah send the Prophet? Right? Before you can know the Quran, you have to have tazkiyah. you sunnah So tazkiyah precedes knowledge of the book and the sunnah, and that's what tasawuf is. Ilm tazkiyah, whatever you want to call it. We know there's a science in our religion called ilmu tazkiyah. Traditionally, it was called tasawuf. If you don't like that name, tazkiyah is a Quranic term. ihsan, is ilm al ihsan ilm al-nafs. But you have to know how because. One of the things that's dangerous is you can interpret the Qur'an from your Hawa. So if you don't have Tazkiyah, then you're going to be interpreting the Qur'an from your Hawa. And then Usul al-Din, aqida. you have to know Aqidah before you can do Tafsir of the Qur'an, because much of the Qur'an is about aqida. One third of the Qur'an is, is about aqida, And so you have to know aqida, and, 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 and then you have to know the debates about Aqidah, what's from the Usul and what's from the Furu'ah. The Muslims don't differ in their usul, but there's difference of furu' in aqidah. Just like furu' al-fiqh has differences, furu' al aqida has differences. There's debates amongst the great mutakallimun. Uh, but not in the usul, not in the principles, but in the details. They debate. Uh, and then usul al-fiqh. So you don't just have to know ahkam, fiqh, furu' you also have to know usul al-fiqh before you can... And then Loha, you have to have uh, vocabulary. You have to know all the possible meanings of any given word in the Quran, because many of the words have different meanings, like Quran can mean tahar it can mean Hayab. You have to know that, because what is it? Tahar al-Hayab. And and why is there a Khidaf? And, and what's the Rajah, if there's a Rajah? What's the preferred opinion? And then Nahu, you have to know Nahu and Sarf. So you have to know grammar because if you haven't learned grammar you'll make terrible mistakes. And then finally you have to know bayan, rhetoric, balagha. Much of the the mistakes that people have made in the Quran uh and in our religion is uh is the result of being ignorant of rhetoric. Like not knowing what majaz mursal is, what not knowing what what uh istiara is, not knowing what you know uh the, the the and the ijaz hadf uh, like why there's certain things are are omitted lacunae uh, in the quran uh, not knowing those things what iltifat is why allah goes from first person to third person in the same uh uh statement that's a type of rhetorical device and it'll confuse you if you don't know that because in in the west we don't really have that device it's not part of western rhetoric and that's something that confuses western people when they read the quran why does it go from first person to third person like that because we don't do that in western literature but in arabic it's a type of tanbih uh, it's 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 a it's a rhetorical device iltifat and many other examples so these are the sciences and now we have unfortunately a lot of people um you know, doing tafsir of Qur'an that are not qualified, and Daesh, much of what they're doing out there is is because they're reading these verses about killing people wherever you find them. You have to look at what our ulama said about those those verses. And and that you don't kill prisoners. The Prophet had dispensations that aren't permitted for other people. The Prophet did things that are haram for us to do. This is something our ulama knew he had khasai's. You have to know what those are. Um, you have to know, for instance, that uh, burning people uh, is not permitted because of the hadith uh Amartukum an wa I told you to burn so and so and so and so. Now I'm telling you don't do it. But if you find them, uh, punish them. And even in the Hadith of Ali, for those who say, because it's in Al-Bukhari, they say that he burnt them after he killed them in another riwayah. So burning people alive is prohibited uh, in the Sharia. And I'm aware of the khilaf amongst uh, the fuqaha, but Muslims have never used burning as a a punishment historically. And the, the historical narrations... There's no consideration in fiqh of historical narration. None. No, fu- no fuqaha will base a huqam on a piece of history. It has to be a, a solid transmitted narration. It has to have isnad. They don't base rulings on what bidaya and Nihayah says about some event that Abu Bakr did this or that. If you don't have a senad mutasal, la ta'na fee, if you don't have an unbroken chain that 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 that, that is unapproachable, then um, then you can't make a legal ruling. Anyway, I hope that you know. I mean, part of.